So today we come to the end of this amazing book of Romans. It's good to remind ourselves this week I've read again from start to finish chapters 1 to 15. And you realise when you look at the whole of the book that what Paul has done is he's taken us through the whole of the story of scripture in 15 chapters. He's reminded us that God is holy and perfect and it's God who created the world and us within that world. We're reminded that we are fallen from grace. We're fallen and broken and imperfect. That we are by nature deserving of the wrath of God. And yet God in his mercy made a salvation plan. That plan was always accessed by faith and never by works. God called a people, Israel, to display that plan to the nations. God gave the law to Israel to show them their need of him, their need of God's grace. Paul has taken us to the mountaintop of Romans 8, where he's described to us the incredible love of God. A love that we cannot be separated from because of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, the fulfilment of the law, the fulfilment of the salvation plan made freely available to us by God's grace. Paul has shown us that there is hope for, the, for Israel and his people because the promise of God never fails. We've been reminded that we need to be transformed in our bodies, but also in our minds. Paul has shown us that Christianity is not just about some spiritual practice, but is about every area of life. And that in every area of life, the sacred and the secular, we are dependent on God's Holy Spirit. Paul has shown us that we are part of a body and we need one another. So are we done? Do we need Romans 16 at all? Well, let's read it together and discover why this final chapter is so helpful. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centralia. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Trithena and Trithosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Azincritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers with them. Greet Philologus, 
Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learnt. Keep, keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoys, sends you their greetings. Aristus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for uh, long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are in chapter 16. If chapter 1 to 15 have told us the whole story, why is this chapter here? Is this just another list of names that we so often come across in scripture? Is, in effect, this just like the titles at the end of the movie, which no one really watches unless, of course, you're the parents of the third hairdresser? Well, no. We know all scripture is God-breathed. We know that God has included these words. Paul wrote these words with purpose. So what was that purpose? Well, what's happening in chapter 16? What's happening with all these names? Did, it, did you count them? There's over 30. What's happening here is that Paul is putting literal flesh and blood on the teaching he gave us back in chapter 12. Let's remind ourselves of some of that teaching. Paul wrote this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather with sober judgment, in accordance with faith. God has distributed to each of you, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Some of us can talk a good talk, but not live that out. Well, Paul was not one of those leaders. In chapter 12, Paul reminds us that being part of the body of Christ is about being part of a kingdom community in which each one of us has a role to play. And in this chapter, in this final chapter, 
He is naming multiple people who are part of that community. He's reminding us that that community is equal in value, diverse in culture and united in purpose. So what we're going to do today is we're going to unpack that community. We're going to ask ourselves, what does this chapter say? We're going to ask ourselves, why does Paul say it? And then finally, we're going to say, what does that mean to us today, wherever we are working out our faith? So let's start with this fact that we are equal in value. You'll notice that in all these names, Paul does not give any sort of hierarchy. Although he commends Phoebe at the start of the chapter, it's probably because she was the one carrying this letter to Rome. So she is mentioned first. But throughout this list, there's no hierarchy. There's no implication that one task is more important than another. What Paul is saying is this, that in God's kingdom community, there are no superstars. There are no understudies. There are no spectators. Every one of these people is equal in value, equal in worth. He's also showing us how diverse this kingdom community is. There are nine women mentioned. There are slaves mentioned. There are businessmen and women mentioned. There are people from different cities. There are people from different nations. There are people who had been sold into slavery. There were people who were the masters of slaves. There were people who were planting churches. There were people who were opening up their homes to house churches. There were people who were opening up their homes for hospitality. There were those who had been saved under Paul's ministry. There were those who'd been Christians longer than Paul himself and had clearly played a part in Paul's discipleship. This community was utterly diverse. At no point is there an implication that everybody has to be the same or even that Paul is trying to conform people into a team for his purposes. No, Paul is recognising that he is one part of the body. Paul is recognising that he is one part of this vast diversity of race and culture and sex. There are single people in this list, married people in this list, white people in this list, non-white people in this list, people who are young, people who are old. There is total diversity. This kingdom community is totally equal in worth and totally diverse in culture. But this community is also united in purpose around the gospel. You see, Paul is not building Paul's kingdom. Paul is seeking the kingdom of God. Paul is not describing to us all the people who are on Paul's team. No, he's describing to us this community of people who are on Jesus Christ's team. This is a community not made by Paul, but made by God. It is a community which is equal in value, diverse in culture and gifting, but it's unified in purpose. And that purpose is the gospel of the kingdom. Paul is not describing to us some homogenous unit, 
some cult where everybody has to look the same, feel the same, think the same, come from the same place. The only conformity Paul is looking for is the conformity of all of us to the character of Christ. Remember again chapter 12 when he said, be conformed to by the renewing of your mind, not to the world, but by the renewing of your mind. Yes, elsewhere Paul says imitate me, but only as he is imitating Christ. Paul names all these people because he's putting flesh and blood on this central truth. That the kingdom of God is not extended by one man, Paul the Apostle. No, the kingdom of God is extended by a kingdom community. And what does that kingdom community look like? It's equality plus diversity plus unity of purpose. That's the kingdom community Paul is describing and we're being invited to join. Let's take a break and when we come back we'll look at why this is important to us and what we can do about it. We've looked at the what of Romans 16. What does it tell us? Well, it tells us that God wants a kingdom community which is equal in value, diverse in culture and gifting and status, but unified around the purpose of the gospel. This is what kingdom community looks like. But why does it matter? Why is this important for us in the 21st century? Is this just one way of building life? Well, no. You see, it matters because we were created for and our identity is found in being part of this kingdom community. Being part of kingdom community is not one option. It's what we were created for. How, how do we know that? Well, we know that because when we look throughout scripture, it's very clear that God created us for purpose and God created us for community and God created us out of community. Let's flip back to Genesis chapter one and two. What are we told? Well, we're told that God says, let us create humanity in our image. God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, all involved in creation, we're told, and all involved as a community in creating humanity, male and female. We were created out of community. We were created in community and we were created for community. In chapter 2, God says it's not good for man to be alone. As Genesis gives us two views of the same events, we're reminded that we're better together. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, other books of the Bible remind us two are better than one. A three-strand cord is not easily broken. When we look at the salvation story, God works through community. Yes, sometimes God talk, calls an individual, but he often calls that individual within a household or within a clan or within a tribe. He calls Israel as a people. He declares to all nations the glories of his grace by choosing one nation, one community. Jesus, who could have done it all on his own, builds community. He's born into a family. He's raised in a family. And when he starts his ministry, what does he do? He says to others, come, follow me, be part of my community. 
we were created out of community we were created for community that's why loneliness is so painful that's why isolation has been hard that's why grief is so hard to handle because we're meant to be in relationship one with another but we're not just created for community we're created for kingdom community we're created with purpose we know that when we lack purpose we struggle proverbs tells us without vision the people perish or without revelation the people cast off restraint well, we need to know what we're here for and god tells us again genesis chapter one god says to adam and eve rule over the earth and subdue it be fruitful and multiply jesus says to his disciples come and follow me be part of community and i'll make you fishers of men there is purpose kingdom community is different to just family because it's focused around purpose the purpose of the gospel this matters because we find our identity we find our security when we realize we've been called to be part of this kingdom community what does jesus say when he finds us worrying he says don't worry seek first the kingdom of god this matters is why paul is reminding us in this chapter that we all have a part to play because for every one of us our security our identity our fulfillment life in all its fullness that jesus promises us is found when we know we are plugged in to a kingdom community so what does that mean in practice if this is true how does it affect us today? Well, it reminds us, it reminds me as a Christian leader that we must never discount anybody. That it is totally wrong to say that some people are needed and others are not. To say that some can't have a role to play. Remember again those 30 names men women single married old young some who had always lived in the same place some who had traveled different cultures different races different languages we mustn't discount or exclude anyone racism sexism has no place in this kingdom community paul honors men and women Men and women in leadership, men and women in service. Paul honours those who are like him, Jews, but also those who are not like him, Gentiles. Paul honours those who speak his language and those who speak another. We must not discount anybody. We must be inclusive and welcoming because we are called to be a prophetic people we know there'll be a day when around the throne of god there will be people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation and the church god's kingdom community is called to display that diversity that equality that inclusiveness right now as we seek the kingdom together we must not discount others 
But we must also not discount ourselves. So many on this list could have discounted themselves. Some were slaves. Some had persecuted the church like Paul himself. Some were recent converts. Some had been converts a while and might have thought themselves too old. Some had social status. Some were married. Some were single. There were lots of reasons for people to discount themselves. We must not discount ourselves. We have a role to play. We have things to do. We have been created for community, but also as unique individuals with unique histories, with unique gifting, with unique roles to play in this community. If we don't step up, who will? We need to serve. We need to use our gifts to the glory of God. Even if we think they're small gifts, Paul makes it clear in this list, there's no such thing as a small gift. There's no such thing as a, a small or insignificant part of the community. So we must not discount others. We must not discount ourselves. We must remember we're not building our kingdom. Paul is not mentioning people who are helping him build Paul's ministry. No, he's mentioning people who with him are building the kingdom of God. It's not about us. It's about God's kingdom. It's about the gospel. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why it matters. We were created for community. We find our identity, our value, the fullness of life in being part of kingdom community. Let's not discount others. Let's not discount ourselves. Let's not seek our own kingdom. But what could we do right now? What could we do today or tomorrow or this week to play our part? Well, here's two questions for us to take away. Number one, what's in your hand? When Moses is before God asking what he should do, God says to him, what's in your hand? Well, what's in our hands right now? What natural or supernatural gifting has God given us? Where has God placed us? In what family? In what street? In what workplace? Because remember, we're not just talking about church here. We're talking about kingdom, which extends from the sacred to the secular. We're talking about what, who we are in our, in our homes and in our workplaces. What's God given you? What gifting? What skill? Where has God placed you? What could you do right now that has a kingdom focus where you are? What's in your hand? Ask yourself that question. And secondly, who's standing next to you? Who could you take with you on this journey, on this adventure, to be part of this kingdom community? Who could you say to, don't discount yourselves? Who could you, who could I encourage, empower, equip? Jesus didn't do it on his own. Paul didn't do it on his own. We're called to do it together. So friends, what's in our hands? What has God gifted us right now that we can use for his kingdom? And who has God placed alongside us? If we look to the left or the right, who could we draw alongside and work with together for the good of the kingdom? And let's remember in all this, how Paul finishes this letter. Now to him, 
who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.